Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections, a podcast dedicated to everything science fiction. It's me, your host, Colin Brandon, and a very small cast with us today. With me is... Jason. I'm Ben Young. (laughs) I'm Bill Jarvis. Andrew's back. Uh, Fun fact, Ben Young is actually not here. He is in... He got taken away by government agents after his head started. He's in Cosmo right now. He's in Mexico living up that vacation life. Oh. Hey, good for Ben. That's great. Yeah, it's uh, currently you know, twenty degrees, and not all of us get to have vacations. Slushing out. Honestly, the last time Ben Young took a, an actual vacation, like went somewhere, was probably like five years ago. So good for him. He needs to get away. So, all right. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, today we're talking about the film Akira. But before we get into that, I'm going to do the news because Ben is gone. I hope I do this well, gentlemen. Anyways, <clears throat> Disney is going back to before, well, I guess the Phantom Menace. Old Republic fans can finally rejoice in the fact that they are getting something they didn't want. According to CNET, High Republic, set 200 years before the Phantom Menace, is going to be coming out this year. <clears throat> Phase 1 of the High Republic debuts in August at the Star Wars Celebration Anaheim Convention and will feature five releases. A young adult novel, Into the Dark. A middle grade novel, I don't know what that means. A Test of Courage. And a comic book series, The High Republic Adventures. As well as another comic book series, this one from Marvel, called simply The High Republic. And finally, a novel called The Light of the Jedi. A middle grade novel. So is that like for us, like 30-year-old millennials? Like, it's not highbrow it's not young adult it's middle brow middle brow middle it's not brow dr growing. seuss it's not ulysses it's, it's like somewhere in the middle it's it's like your early early 90s alec baldwin that's like mm. you know okay. personified got yeah. it i like you do like a billy baldwin kind of thing oh okay <clears throat> well sign me up yeah all right yeah we'll, we'll take that I got a cardboard cut out a billy baldwin <laughs> um, in my foyer in my also, I just want to... In my foyer. Because we're talking Disney, I just want to throw this on there. It's not so much sci-fi news, but Bob Iger got replaced. Oh, I didn't hear about that. Yep. That's a big deal. <laughs> I mean, he probably just wanted to retire because, you know, why not? He's been doing this forever. Yeah, but... No, it, but there was, like, no, like, big thing to do about it. It's like, oh, by the way, Bob Iger's no longer in charge of Disney. Three words. Rise. Of... of Skywalker. Skywalker. <laughs> no, I kid, a, I kid. Well, no, it was still a financial success, wasn't it? I don't know. I don't, truthfully, I don't know. I think it was. I just saw that they advertised it's coming out on uh, Blu-ray or Red Ultraviolet. Ray or Ultraviolet Ray. <laughs> Ultra, Ultra. Um, what was the, uh, instead of Blu-ray, what was schnapps. it? HD DVD? Oof. <laughs> HD DVD. <laughs> They're bringing it back. Disney just bought it. Um, no. Uh, also, I have two movies I want to mention that are coming out on the horizon. I'm sure we're going to talk about in this cast. Uh, one is Little America with Sylvester Stallone. According to Deadline, uh, set in a dystopian future where America has become bankrupt and turned into a war zone, Stallone will play a former army ranger hired by an Asian billionaire to find his daughter. With the highly skilled sister of the missing woman along for the ride, Sly's ranger must navigate the dark underbelly of Little America, a walled-off city within a city in Hong Kong, where many Americans have fled. That just sounds like a Sylvester Stallone 80s movie. Yeah, that, honestly, that was like, what is this, like, Judge Dredd? Yeah. Era. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, also on the horizon is a Bruce Willis film. Uh, this one was brought to you by The Hollywood Reporter. says, Anti-Life. Willis plays a hardened mechanic picked to stay awake and maintain an interstellar arc on a spaceship, fleeing a dying planet Earth with a few thousand survivors on board. The last remnant of humanity. But this ship has a stowaway, a shape-shifting alien whose goal is to slaughter everyone on board. Pandemic director John Suits helmed the feature, which also stars Rachel Nichols and Thomas Jane, oh, my bad, and Cody Kearsley. I want to meet the soft-spirited mechanic. All my mecha- my mechanics have always been hardened. Where's my it's very tender? Uh, have you seen Have you seen Firefly and or Serenity? No. The mechanic was not hardened. That's true. She was very tender. I'll bet she was. All right, it's moving on. That's <laughs> not meant to be wait, wait, sexual. Firefly, I'm just sure. Like, like <laughs> nothing's been near my nethers that hasn't been run by batteries or something like that. Did you watch Firefly? Yes, I did. Okay, yeah. I think I did. Yes. No, I did. This is pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> this is a cool vibe, everybody. This is super cool vibe. Super cool vibe. Uh, anyways, I'm actually kind of excited for the Bruce Willis film. Um, it just sounds like space horror, so I'm there. Mm-hmm. It's kind of my brand of sci-fi that I like to watch. Not so much excited for the Stolen movie. You don't like Sylvester Stallone, eh? Um... <laughs> I have something I want to add. Okay, go ahead. So, uh, <clears throat> I saw this on uh, social media the other day, and I just until right now didn't have a chance to actually confirm it, but something I was out of the loop with and didn't realize was as far along in development as it apparently is, is a fourth Riddick film. Oh, wow. whoa. What? It's filming this year. Oh. The script's already written. Uh, David Tui is reported to potentially be attached to direct, but they haven't really announced much about it. Mm-hmm. I saw a few like articles. It seemed kind of clickbaity, and when you research it and you Google it, it's not like you know you're going to find a ton of stuff on it. But it seems like it's a go, so that's exciting. That news is ridiculous. <laughs> oh boy! Coughing up some of the sadness there, Bill. Yes. All right. Well. We'll see. Does it have a title yet or anything? Riddick 4, Furia, which is Riddick's home planet. Mm. Or yep. his people's yep. home planet. Oh, that'll be cool. Yeah, we'll see. long as it's rated R. Oh, I'm sure it will be. That seems to be his new trend, is making it rated R movies again, so I'm all about it. <clears throat> Anyways, but the reason we are here is for the movie Akira. Uh, filmed in nineteen. You say filmed or made no. in nineteen eighty eight? No, released. Released in nineteen eighty eight. Uh, Akira, directed by Katsuhiro Atomo, uh, written by Atomo as well as uh, Izo Hashimoto, uh, to a budget of one point one billion yen. Yes. Uh, for those who need the quick calculation, that is nine million dollars in American. As of twenty twenty. No. Yes. Sorry. It could be uh, different tomorrow. Um, the box office was 1.7 billion yen in Japan, so roughly around what 10, 10 million dollars, 10 million dollars, and 49 million dollars worldwide. So, it's very that's big financial. That's a financial success. Very successful. But oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, oh, I was going to say, especially for an animated film at the time, uh, basically animated things 
did not exist in American culture in the way that they existed in Japanese culture. So to have a $10 million budget and to make $50 million was gigantic. Yeah. That a, uh, yeah. Gigantic. Sorry. Yeah, that is pretty big. I'm trying to think of what was big animated at the time. He-Man? No. In America? Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> the yeah, mask was still it. several years away. There's a lot of there's a lot of cultural implications of it that I want to explore later, but go ahead. Transformers sure. had a movie by 88, I think. Right. It was uh, a Transformers ne- movie. Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy was in it, right? Yeah. And um, Orson Welles. In his That's final right. speaking role, he yeah. said he played a toy that ate other toys. <laughs> is he wrong rip Orson Welles um, well Ben's not here to give us that fat synopsis so we'll I'll turn to one. you Andrew in 1988 the Japanese government drops an atomic bomb on Tokyo after ESP experiments on children go awry in the distant future of 2019 31 years after nuking after the nuking of the city Kaneda a bike gang leader tries to save his friend Tetsuo from secret government project. He battles anti-government activists, greedy politicians, irresponsible scientists, and a powerful military leader until Tetsuo's supernatural powers suddenly manifest. A final battle is fought in the Tokyo Olympiad exposing the experiment's secrets. That sounds like my 2020 so far. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. I often have psychic experiments that require atomic bombing. I feel for you. Hey. <laughs> Who doesn't these days, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've never seen Akira before. No. Um, Neither have I, actually. So when This I, was my idea. When I started the movie, I wasn't looking at the screen. I was actually looking at, like, math problems on my other monitor. And I saw, like, the, you know, the explosion. And I was like, was that just the... <laughs> the like animation for a company's logo on it <laughs> based out of japan i was like because damn that's pretty strong <laughs> it's like wow and but then i realized that it's like oh shit movies <laughs> happening there's plot developing yeah. right now yeah the movie yeah that was it at that point but um i'm sorry <laughs> go ahead andrew no hey i mean this is uh installment two of uh what we're calling miller march miller madness yeah Despite the fact that it is still February, <laughs> and the other movie took place in February. Well, we had to bump them around because the Invisible Man, apparently. Yeah. Which looks more like a horror movie than an actual sci-fi. So I think we should probably kick the shit out of Ben. Yeah. Well. Yep. So I just, so I just wanted to. Yeah. Bill, I just save us. To, no, no, no. You're good. I wanted to. I wanted to say, oh Ben, I miss you. <laughs> I, I didn't realize the void that you felt, but we, we need you, buddy. But we love you. Um, but I. Uh, what was I gonna say? Akira. Um, Akira. Is that Akira? That's that's really how they pronounce it. Uh, Jason says it the best. It. Yeah, anyway. Uh, what? Akira. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> but no. Okay. So Akira. Um, The whole thing represents post-World War II Japan, the idea of having this anxiety about the world ending, right? That's the analysis that I've kind of seen online. So that kind of encompasses the entire film is this anxiety and this culture of of Japan, seen in a lot of media, uh, seen in a lot of Japanese media at the time that a lot of things were kind of post-apocalyptic, 
a lot of things were, you know, disasters and stuff like that. Like, you know, like it was mostly the aftermath of the disaster that people were dealing with. Like around that time was um, when anime was just blowing up at the time. Um, you know, um, Akira was post-apocalyptic, uh, sort of rebuilding. And then, um, and then Fist of the North Star was a post-apocalyptic anime that came out at the time that was huge at the time. Um, Fist of the North Star is very interesting and you should look into it, but it's out of the scope of this podcast. So, um, but no, it's, it's very interesting that this sort of, um, idea, this, uh, fatalism that Japanese culture had at the time kind of was presented in this way because it felt like a very fatalistic movie, right? It felt very like, well, things were, things blew up at the beginning and then we're also doomed to die at the end, you know, sort of thing. We blow up again. So it's like, it's human nature. We just deal with the aftermath. That's the feeling I got generally out of the film. Mm -hmm. Does anybody have anything else they got out of it? I I think Jason might have something to add to that. Yeah, so I just want to start by saying it's really interesting to me that you, Miller, I'm pointing at you, Miller, did not see this, but this was your recommendation because when I watched this... I was under the impression that <laughs> a wild dog appears. I was under the impression that this was like one of your like all-time favorite classic films mm-hmm. that you like were dying to get everyone else to watch. Sure. Because I know I've had a few of those. Uh, Virus comes to mind, you know. All-time classic film that you love for whatever reason mm-hmm. you want to get everyone to watch. So you add it to the queue or, you know, try to work it in. Figure Miller March Madness, you know, you've got, what, four movies five. or properties? You Five properties you can choose and this is one of them so i thought you know there had to be some history there so finding that this was your impetus to watch it mm-hmm. i think for Finally the first time it was... after well you know i i had seen probably parts of it um i remember vividly um memories from when i was like four years old when i probably i don't know if i was allowed to watch it if i was shown it by my brother-in-law who would have been the one to show it to me but I have distinct memories of some of the some of the imagery from this movie, so I don't know if I was just walking by and it was on or what. But sure, um, I mean this this movie got a pedigree. It is a it's called a masterpiece of of anime, and I mean I, I guess I won't uh, tip my hat to uh, good sci fi, bad sci fi. Let's just do that now. Let's do good side by bad side in the <laughs> beginning. Right, we'll do it in the beginning, right then maybe we'll talk about it a little bit, crush, the, crush yeah. a couple uh, yeah, yeah. nondescript alcoholic seltzers, and then uh, go from there. Yeah. But no, I just I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. So I know we just kind of blasted past that, but this was my first viewing of it. It was Miller's. Yes. It was Collins. Bill, have you seen this before? I've seen it once, yeah. Okay. So yeah, I'm not, truthfully guys, I'm not an anime guy. I, I've not really read any mangas. I've not really, you know, apart from just a few properties, I think my introduction into, you know, anime or like Japanese animation was probably like old school, like OG Adult Swim. Like I distinctly remember being, you know, a teenager watching like Trigun and Cowboy Bebop and so, like, I loved all those, and I mean, granted, they're the, I don't know, like, I guess the mainstream. They're the good ones. But, but like, they're the ones that resonated, you know? I, I really love that stuff. So, I was always aware that this existed, but I just wasn't, like, really sure what it was, you know? Because it wasn't one of those things where in my 30 years, I was like, oh, it's a Friday night or a Saturday night, I'm going to go, you know, watch Akira. You're like, I, it just never came up. Mm-hmm. Um, 
not that I'm opposed to it, but beyond that, you know, the uh, Studio Ghibli films I've always followed, but that's really been about it. Um, so this was refreshing to me because I know there's some other ones that are kind of on my list, like the ghosts in the shells of the world and that type of stuff. But like, you're going to get your chance in a couple of weeks, (laughs) but like, well, that's the thing. I've never seen that either. So like me neither looking, looking at this, I always kind of on the, I was on the periphery of what it was or what it was about. I never really knew. I knew it was kind of like this. You know, there's some science fiction in there. There's some, like, kind of post-apocalyptic sort of stuff. There's, you know, um, some cyberpunk sort of elements in there. But I wasn't ever really sure what it was. And all I ever really could point to was the cover art, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, uh, it's uh, Kaneda and the motorcycle yep. and the red jacket, right? Oh, yeah. So it's iconic it's at this like point, it. but no clue. So this was my first kind of experience with it. And, you know, generally it was interesting. So I finished the film this this evening so it were tuesday now so i finished it when i got off of work i started it last night probably too late because i couldn't really i was zoning out mm-hmm. so i had to go back and watch about rewatch about 20 minutes of it tonight because i just was like what what the hell's going on but it's just weird in such a way that it it's it's so unique and i think even still you can see a lot of media that was inspired by this going forward but just that sense of kind of uniqueness and it being its own thing. I mean, I feel like that's the reason that it does hold up and it has that pedigree it has. You know, you've got like your Blade Runners. Well, why is Blade Runner still heralded 40 years later? Mm-hmm. Because it has a, its own kind of sense of place and that sort of uniqueness, you know. Alien, same thing. All the films that are regarded as classics, why are they classics? You know, there's something that puts them in that hierarchy um, or puts them on in that pantheon. And I feel like within the first 20 minutes of this movie i didn't really know what i thought about it yet because again it's it's weird it, it is really weird but in a way that's it's good and it was refreshing for being a film that's 30 years old um there's still a lot that i think is topical and really relevant about it so it's aged well i feel like um so those are kind of my first impressions about it to kind of echo um some of the stuff that bill was just talking about so I read a couple really good kind of uh, critiques or like analyses on it and maybe some of the same stuff you came across, but there's a really good one and it was actually, most time I try to like roughly source or cite where we get these from, but this one was incredible. It was a, a long read. It probably took me, you know, a good half hour on the toilet, you know, legs going numb reading this one, but uh, <laughs> don't, don't, that's when there. you know it's good. <laughs> that's when you know it's good. So th- th- there's no actual author on this but it was posted in the artifice which is a, like a blog site it seems like um ees but just a phenomenal analysis of the movie it's titled akira an analysis of the a-bomb in japanese animation and i was like enraptured reading this it was so good but one of the things that was really interesting to me and it kind of ties into what bill was just talking about there's a lot of apocalyptic kind of elements or references in this but the way that I took it, and I guess this is me blowing the doors open so you guys tell me what you think. Um, it's an apocalypse, but it's almost like an apocalypse in a sense where it's positive. It's a, a breaking down. It's a, a destruction in order to create something new. So, like, I didn't view any of the scenes where things are being destroyed or things are blowing up or uh, we're going into different realms of existence 
as being negative. I don't know, it's weird, but like overall, I mean, in the beginning when you have that initial blast in 88, at that time you don't know what's going on. They kind of give you like a backstory of it, but we come to find out later that's not actually what happened. So in 2019, I almost said present day, but in 2019 when we see this happen again and Neo-Tokyo is absolutely demolished at the end, I saw it, I mean, it's it's weird, but like you feel positive about it. You don't feel a sense of loss per se because what was being destroyed was so corrupted in the first place. I mean, that's kind of like the 10,000 foot view of that. I, I mean, that might be obvious, but to me it was like, it was really kind of profound, especially in the end where you've got, uh, you know, the, the sun kind of poking through the clouds, especially for the film being mostly, um, you know, I guess uh, the aesthetic of it being kind of nighttime and very neon yeah, and overcast. You know, even. Yeah. Um, to finally get that I thought was pretty interesting so I don't know that was that was one reading I think there's a lot of stuff we can talk about kind of different subtext to the film but like that was to me uh, a really big one is this just sense of kind of breaking down I guess in most basic sense breaking down what has already existed or breaking down the well I guess it's a whole other thing too the past and notions of the past and notions that the past were you know better or things were better maybe back then but also saying that what we have or what we potentially could have in the future isn't necessarily something that's better. It might be different, but that those things that we choose to replace in our society aren't necessarily a better way forward. They're just a different way forward. And they're not above any sort of reproach or above tearing them down if they fail us and they don't work. Okay. Yeah, I think those, that's, those are like excellent themes. Mm-hmm. The whole thing. Very concise. So, from the beginning, where do we start? So we start. We start on the. Game. Yeah. Well, that's after the explosion. So yes. Right. So yes. You your your deviants. Yes, exactly the deviants. So you have that, um, and then Canada awakens. Right. That's the that's the whole idea. Was it Canada? Or was uh, Tetsuo. It? Was Tetsuo. The one Tetsuo. Who, yeah. Tetsuo awakens his powers, which um, was interesting to me because it's like. Usually with these things, you have, like, something similar to, like, the hero's journey. Something similar to the hero's journey, you know? Like, that um, that sort of reawakening or that awakening or that, that moment that changes a character all yeah. the way. So that was, like... And that happened at the beginning of the film, basically. And then... So the pacing... And I'm not saying that this movie is perfect, right? Uh, I think that you have a very fair point when you were saying that at the very end you kind of like got lost a little bit, which is fair because everybody says that about this movie. Is that once you get to the end, it's kind of like okay, but how did we get here? Like, it gets very get... heady. Exactly, and the and the reason is for that I found online was that um, in the manga, in the manga I think it's like six uh, six volumes, and they took the first half of the volume, or they took the first half of the first volume, and then they took this. The, and then they took the last half of the last volume and put them in the movie, and then they made a little transition in the middle. So they took this huge, huge property and shoved it into what is still a long film. What two two, two hours? hours yeah, two two and some change. Yeah, yeah exactly. Two, yeah, two and two and seven. So they took this huge property that is beautiful, uh, heralded as a manga. It's and really, if you see some of the imagery from it, it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, very interesting panels that go on through that, but that's out of our scope. So they took this whole thing, shoved it into a movie, and so the pacing, everyone says, kind of doesn't make sense at some point. You know, there are some 
little sentences that are throughout that, like like they said, the amoeba or whatever, an amoeba trying to do or having the power of what a human has and not understanding what it really is. And so when you were saying like rebirth and like, you know, things being destroyed is actually like uh, the world destroying itself to make itself better sort of thing is kind of like that's what they were referencing with the amoeba. So that, I think that's a huge theme is rebirth throughout the whole thing, which I think any great epic story has. Um, but yeah, no, so, so Tetsuo, um, awakens and, uh, and then we continue. Where does it go from there? Uh, Tetsuo awakens, uh, he gets picked up by the government and, uh, his friends are looking for him. Um, and he breaks out of the government facility and he's having all these kinds of problems. The government picks him up again <laughs> after he ste- steals, uh, Kaneda's bike. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say they get beaten the shit out of by the PE teacher, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the child abuse laws in Neo Tokyo are spotty at best. <laughs> at best. I'm like, come on, it's 2019, people. Get with it. But, you know, I, th- I thought it was so interesting that, I mean, it, like, it, like we said, it was a big inspiration from the A-bomb, right? Mm-hmm. That was a huge effect on here and the fact that Japanese culture grew so much and did you in your analysis did it talk about how the japanese feared the intense growth the exponential growth that the country was going through did, did it mention anything about that because yeah that was a fair point that i found was yeah. that was that kind of tetsuo's growth and the fact that everything gets out of control was part of like the japanese psyche of we have our culture and we love our culture from you know that was that was basically industrialized out of it. You know, they got the culture basically taken out of their life and they, their life became industry. And so it was very interesting to see that like, oh, our culture is being inundated by this industry and we're growing too fast and we're losing ourselves. And so that's kind of like they were saying that um, that's what um, that's what the director was trying to indicate with this huge growing monstrous Tetsuo who, you know, was getting too much power and would self-destruct. And um, and so that's that's kind of like the Japanese consciousness. Sort of like a... That's what they said, that that, um, that that was part of it, being fatalistic and having worries about the good things. That things are too good. We're going too fast. Mm-hmm. We've got to slow down, yeah. you know? And so it's like very interesting that uh, Akira kind of encompasses and embodies that. I just well, even, that really even in like modern day Japan there there is kind of this like after World War II and Americans came in and sort of helped doing the, the rebuilding effort they Japan kind of became hyper consumeristic mm-hmm. you know all of our uh, consumer electronics all the, all the best consumer electronics come out of Japan you know they're a powerhouse um, for that you know they have entire uh, districts that are sort of dedicated to consumerism you know they've got an area that's like very Times Square, New York, but it's just people and tourists coming in, emptying their pockets and, you know, sort of scuttling off. Um, so I can definitely see what you mean about, you know, this, this idea of, you know, prosperity sort of inverting in a way and uh, becoming more of, a, more of a burden or problem than an actual boon. Right. Where you... you you advance too quickly. Um, things go too fast. You know, you can you can see it now, kind of in um, in modern Japanese culture, where there's just the 
um, I know, I know Foxconn is in, uh, China. Um, but just this idea of working yourselves to death, you know, mm-hmm. and the, the, the crippling loneliness that a lot of modern Japanese people feel. And I don't want to, you know, speak for the, for the Japanese, you know, I'm not, I'm obviously not Japanese here. Um, but just from what I've seen and heard people talking about, yeah, there's a lot of isolation and consumerism and stuff. There's a whole marketplace around people making people feel less lonely. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I can definitely see uh, what you're talking about with the the idea of this hyper consumerism or, or, or good thing growing out of control and sort of when's the bubble going to burst ideal, like this mindset that, you know, this can't go on forever. Something's going to, you know, the other shoe's going to drop. And in this movie, it does. I mean, I was going to add, but I think Miller did a good job with it. I mean, uh, all I was going to say was, you know, post-World War II, America rebuilt Japan in its image. And the Japanese don't do things casually. And that's, I mean, that's fair. It, yeah. So, like, if they're going to do it, they're going to do it. And that, that's where I could, like, what Miller was saying is to the point where it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Right, right. It's too inextricable. It's, it's, it's unhealthy. Yeah. And I don't mean to generalize an entire culture, but it's hard to not delve into that with a film like this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just hard not to because it kind of was the film's intention to kind of, or the manga's, manga and film's intention to kind of study that study the culture and study what's happening to it as a subject. Yeah, and clearly um, Otomo felt the same way, kind of felt this spiraling, out-of-control consumerism that was happening in Japan in the, in the 80s, and here we are, you know, with 22 years plus on it, and, uh, you know, things are... Or no, uh, 32. 32. Oh, 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 no. Yeah. We're doing this all because I'm turning 30, and it's like, oh, yeah, God. Yeah. There we go. It's not up on you. Well, yeah. but that's the crazy thing, but and yeah. I feel like that kind of speaks to what we were talking about a few minutes ago. You know, when you uh, – the, the films, and it could be sci-fi. Obviously, that's what we're talking about here, but it could really be any genre or any film. The ones that really are the classics or timeless, I mean, you, you, could, you could have done a reading of – Akira in 88 that would have been, you know, wow, this is, you know, kind of a sign of the time. It is really relevant or almost even prophetic. Mm-hmm. You could watch it in 2020 and it's, it hasn't aged. I mean, it's, it's yeah. really the themes are, if not at least as relevant, more relevant now than they were then, because, mm-hmm. you know, that's the thing. I mean, this is, so this was a manga and a film adaptation that was put out in you know the mid to late 80s and then here we are 30 years later and you know just like in a lot of other you know kind of speculative fiction you want to look like the the orwells the 1984s you know it's kind of the same thing we went down that path and maybe not as extreme you know we don't have these cool uh, souped up uh you know stylized motorcycles people do have that bike do they? Yeah. I'll have to look that up. That's yeah. pretty cool. But like, you know, I mean, certain things are, like I said, obviously stylized and, you know, they, they take kind of creative liberty with it. But the overarching or like underlying, I guess, story elements or kind of where like the society finds itself, like ultimately a lot of these, a lot of these properties kind of hit the nail on the head. And it's kind of scary in some ways. I mean, even, uh, 
which again outside of Rome, but almost reminds me of like Watchmen because that was of a, a similar era. Yeah, a lot of that stuff came to pass, or a lot of the things that were uh, raised, you know, themes that were raised, questions that were raised. It's it's relevant, and we can kind of look back now and say, okay, well, where did we go in the last thirty years? <laughs> you know, there, there's some clear paths and some clear, I feel like. Um, points where you're you're going to branch off and you're going to go down a different road and you know unfortunately i think as a civilization we've gone down a lot of these roads that have kind of led us towards the akira and watchmen and you know i mean yeah but but that's why it's it's cool and that's why i think it's useful yeah Yeah, no it's kind of the idea that human beings will always kind of choose the form of their own destructor you know, whether it's hyper consumerism or, you know, resource depletion or whatnot, you know, it's yeah. Human human beings are destined to destroy themselves in a lot of ways and you know, it, it's it is somewhat. It almost feels prophetic. But uh I think it's people just being just so far sighted. You know, it's like, hey, this is a problem, you know, we can't you know, the growth growth at this rate might not be sustainable, you know. I, I wonder where we go from here. You know, this movie came out in 88. And you look at all the movies that it influenced over the last 30 years. Like, some of them you wouldn't even, like, think were influenced, but it's, like, admitted were influenced by this. Um, I mean, even, like, Dark City. Nowhere. Oh, yes. That's coming up. That is coming um, up. <laughs> But no, it's the, that whole cyberpunk, uh, this was kind of the dawn of that mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Do you have a list of movies that were that were influenced by this? I was just wondering. Let me see. That's okay. Um, I know Caroline uh, sent a gif out that was um, a bunch of different properties, and not even all of them were anime, and not even all, right. all of them were sci-fi, right. but it was all right. a list of, or it was a, a series of gifs just of properties copying the motorcycle mm. skin well there, there's so good there's uh, uh your mangas and your animes like ghost in the shell yeah. uh alita mm-hmm. uh Bebop. um i never heard of this what is it serial experiments lane lane yeah okay um yeah well there's uh, um, tetsuo the iron man yes i guess is uh derivative um but also like your hollywood's like your the matrix yeah. dark city kill bill chronicle looper the Dark Knight, uh, Midnight Special, and Inception are all derivative of this. Mm-hmm. I believe it. So cool! It, it's yeah. so oh, interesting. Oh, video games like Cyberpunk twenty seventy. Oh yeah, seventy seven and Deus Ex are mm-hmm. have cited this as the inspiration, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Well, yeah. it's it's so interesting. Like, like, okay, so the animation, the the film uses its medium in a lot of ways that make it very beautiful. You know, they use, I want to say like in, in one article, it's cited that they kind of put together, they, they were so picky about how they framed these things. They, they used 330 different colors, different variations of colors. And it's like these, there were 50 shades that were, you know, created just for this film. And that's yeah, how, I that's read how that too. intricate that was, that was this cool. got. Yeah. It was so cool. But, um, it was so interesting that it became so intricate and the quality and the level that animation anime was taken to from like you know this sort of um fun little 
big eyes, bright lights kind of thing to a real place, you know, to a real discussion, you know, and it showed like, this is what we could do with this medium and then showed the entire world to that. And, um, and there was a lot of faith put into this movie because you said the budget was $10 million, right? And that was unheard of. That was $9 million. Well, okay. But yeah, close to $10 million, $9 million. Um, a billion Japanese yen is a billion a Japanese billion yen. A billion Japanese yen, my friend. Um, but uh, <laughs> A billion Japanese friends. Yes, a billion Japanese friends this cost. Um, but, uh, no, but like it, it influenced so much going into this. It's, you know, it showed the world that this is what this medium can do. And a lot of people were unaware of this sort of animation that had been developing over the past 30 years in Japan because there was this hyper consumerism. There was this hyper, you know, consumption of media. And so there was this there was this animation, there was this anime being developed since the 50s, you know. And so, you know, every single other culture was unaware of it. And then, you know, Akira comes out and it blows it up. You know, it gets on every single, you know, select theater screen, you know, in the world and, and it blows up, you know. And so so everybody's just like, wow, have you heard of this thing? Have you heard of this thing? This is amazing. This is beautiful. And so now you get backing behind all sorts of anime projects like, you know, you know, Dragon Ball Z was apparently uh, originally was like a comedy action manga. And then it, you know, got this taken off and then it went worldwide and you know there were all these little things that started becoming serious they started making serious money and becoming and being taken as a serious property you know so and now anime as a whole is one of japan's chief exports exactly exactly and it's like this is what better or worse (laughs) this is what we like to consume and we've also made it our chief export very interesting yeah well to that point too i mean you can point to to that same thing happening, I think in a lot of different mediums, you know, you have that one property that really elevates it. So I'm not saying that uh, Akira was like the first property that elevated manga, because again, I'm not, or not manga, sorry, but anime or manga, I guess in general, because I'm not familiar with it. You know, I think Miller probably would be a resident expert there, if not, you know, I, yourself, but like, I'm not, I'm not. So correct me if I'm wrong and I don't mean to be insensitive, but you know, it, it's similar with, you know, video games and gaming in general. You know, I think um, there's been a few games that have come out, a few that we've talked about on this podcast that could be considered, you know, a uh, something that's kind of a tipping point that kind of brings it to the next level. And I could definitely see, I mean, now it's such a ubiquitous thing. You don't even think twice about it. You know, uh, anime in general, is it's an accepted art form and there's been creators that have done a lot with it and said a lot with it. But it sounds to me, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to sound ignorant, but it sounds to me like when this came out, this really was that kind of paradigm shift Mm -hmm. where, hey, you know, this medium is capable of a whole lot more than people are giving it credit for. And I think we've been able to chart that or follow that in video games as we've seen production values rise and storytelling get better and better. But really in, in film and I guess even in anime, like that was all kind of before our time. I think we've all been consuming this stuff for give or take about the last 30 years. Right. Mm -hmm. So in my case, this film came out before I was born. So I wasn't around for it. I don't know the history of it. I I don't know how it was perceived. Film predates all of us. Yeah. Yeah. So I just think that's another kind of interesting thing you could point to. Like, um, you're not, you're never watching anything in a vacuum, but I feel like you probably would have been close back then. And it probably would have been perceived as, you know, this 
like I, I said that before, like a paradigm shift, like something that really just kind of blows the doors open to a whole industry. Oh yeah, if you were if you were little baby Brad discovering uh, Akira on the on the shelf of a Suncoast video, you know, <laughs> at the mall in Northwest Indiana, you know, and it'd probably blow your goddamn brain out, yeah. you know, like it's insane, yeah, that like. If if I've ever seen any of that, it's because of because of him, and and a lot of these films actually kind of are informed from my brother-in-law. I think Bill and I kind of had a little bit of a, a little bit of a thing on that on the group chat where your brother had uh, gotten you sort of into it, some of this stuff. It was so interesting. Actually, that's another cultural thing I wanted to talk about because like <laughs> the passing of the anime torch, the passing <laughs> of the anime torch. Well, now it's like now you just find it organically, you know. You, you hear a crunchy roll out at the end of every fucking YouTube video or something. It's not even about not even about anime at all. You know, you're watching whoever um, Joey plays, you know, the Outer Worlds. And he's like, well, subscribe to use my promo code for 40% off Crunchyroll subscription. Now you don't find anything like or- that organically. But you bet you back then you used to have to go to those obscure video stores in the mall, your Suncoast and stuff like yeah. that. I mean, I remember going in there. Um, I guess FYE would kind of be a, an analog to that. Um, but yeah, like there was this like almost oral tradition mm-hmm. of, you know, somebody in your life. You know, kind of that grown-up kid finding this stuff and passing it down to you. And ruining your life. And ruining your well, life in turn. Back in my day, we had Lupin Third. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, so, I, so that's so interesting that we're talking about this yeah. because it's like, it was, it was actually kind of part of, and it's weird to say, kind of part of uh, another subculture of punk culture at the time it was very interesting because it was part of nerd culture but also people who were like iconoclasts like uh like skaters and like and like punk because that's what my brother was doing at the time and everybody's like oh yeah you gotta watch uh you know i'm gonna watch you know i'm gonna play some old school nintendo i'm gonna watch some kung fu movies and then we're gonna eat some ramen and watch uh you know akira or like bow or like uh or like uh, uh, the Fist of the yeah. North Star because that stuff's tight, you know, like that. It's counterculture, exactly. Yeah, and it's that's why the, the crossover doesn't really yeah. strike me as that odd. Believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, a hundred percent not odd at all. Yeah, it's the idea of like somebody who's so much against, you know, it's, you know, American culture rebelling for whatever, you know, reason, you know, and they stumble onto this stuff. Yeah. You know, they're hanging out. They're at the mall already. You know, they're hanging out. They walk into the. You know the the, the Sun Coast or whatever, and they like you know what's Japanese? What? And then they find it's like they find you know the Jackie Chan movies and stuff, and the, the Bruce Lee. Uh, they find the anime and stuff, and yeah, just it's like oh wow, this is so. It's almost like a a mini culture shock without having to go into you know full blown like it's like okay, I'm without in having Japan, to go to Canada, I can't right? Take it. <laughs> And then it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, and you're right, because it was kind of like a tradition. It's like you get it from, you know, you know, you get your video from the video store and then you got to tell your three friends about it. I'm like, oh, man, I want to watch that. And you like yeah. you go over their place with your with your VHS and then you like take your copy of The Last Mohican, take o- tape over that little square <laughs> thing, and you just like tape over it and just like, oh, now you have a copy of Akira. Yeah. Now you have a copy yeah. of this. The and then of course your little brother's going to be like, oh, what's he watching? <laughs> Why would you do that to Daniel Day? Yeah, da- yeah. <laughs> no, yeah da- no, Daniel D just wants you to hang on to that copy, man. Yeah, no, Don't sure. copy that floppy. Colin has... Don't copy that floppy. Colin, the little known fact about Colin. So in his home video collection, he has 
no less than 300 VHSs, they're all Last of the Mohicans. <laughs> He's building actually, a throne. They're actually all copies of the same film. And one of them is in French. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. Strangely enough, they were all bootleg copies, actually. Yeah. So. No, no, I didn't pay for them. Mm-hmm. Stood in you. Blockbuster was closing. If I have one takeaway, Miller, from this podcast so far, it's how much I miss uh, Suncoast. <laughs> I know. God damn it. I love that. Like, you know, little, I, I want you all to imagine, like, little nine-year-old Jason, lolly in hand, with the beard, with the beard, with the beard, walking into the mall. And, I mean, I, that would strike no one here as a surprise but I feel like we probably were all the same people you know you go into like a mall now mm-hmm. and not to get off on an aside here but like you walk into a mall now and it doesn't really interest me anymore because even the bookstores are you know corporate bullshit now you walk in and oh yeah so what five magazine subscriptions do you want like I don't even buy shit there because I don't want to deal with them trying to sell me magazine subscriptions but I remember going into Suncoast and just spending hours in there or at least as long as I had until my mom came and you know we gotta go, you know, but like so much cool shit. I found so much cool shit there, and and there's a certain innocence I feel like in that time, and it kind of plays into what we're talking about, like you know, organically discovering this type of stuff, like organically discovering um, to like Miller's point, like the counterculture kind of aspects of it, but just in general, like it's almost like a record store back in the day, or even a bookstore. Like you don't have. Um, you know, social media, you don't have Google per se, like that hasn't developed yet to that point. So it's, does this look interesting? And I, I could totally see someone in 1995 going to a Suncoast and picking up, you know, the, the VHS of Akira and like, well, this looks really cool. What's this about? You know, and buying it and just their mind being blown when they get home and watching it. You know, I, I don't know. I, I feel like to your point, the oral tradition aspect of it, I think that's interesting you use that term because, like I said, it makes me think about some old codger guy around a campfire cooking, right, cooking yeah. pork and beans on the fire and going, well, let, so me, tell you, let me tell you about post-apocalyptic Japan. But let me tell you about Neo-Tokyo. Well, back in my day in Neo-Tokyo, we noted the Tokyo Bay reclamation. But that's so interesting because, you guys, I don't want to be like depressing here, but that's not something we'll ever have again. No, you're 100% we, right, and I was going to make that point. There is no counterculture we, we luckily existed in a time where that still, it was on its way out. We didn't know it at the time, but we got to, I feel like, kind of live through that shared kind of word of mouth passing down of yeah. these cultural things, yeah. and a lot of that informed and influenced what we like now. Yeah. Like that's Honestly, where the sci-fi, the love of sci-fi comes from anime video games you know the, this even literature you know books like just stuff was passed down because hey you know my uh you know third cousin twice removed that i see at the family reunion you know was hanging out over there and said oh man you got to check this out this is really cool yeah. like i don't know you're, you're never really going to get that no. anymore because now you can look up everything and anything about it 100 percent. and there's a and there's an entire community rallied around it before, you know, you'd have to go out seeking those, like, anime nerds oh, who, yeah. like... Now you, know, you got you, your subreddit, which is going to yeah, take you Yeah, now you've got so your fucking holes. subreddit. No, I, I think we lived in, like, a really... And, and you're 100% right. We lived in a microcosm of that. Because think about the counterculture movements up until 
you know, the middle middle 2000s. 40s and 50s, well, I, I can't even think of it. I guess flappers and stuff in the 20s and 30s, whatever, fuck it. Uh, but, like, you've got your greaser types in the 50s and your flower children, you know, your your disco people and then in the 80s later later, all of them yeah well then and then you've got your D&D people throughout you know the 70s and stuff um and and then you like our our microcosm of counterculture was it just seems like it revolved around media and organically finding media that you normally wouldn't consume you know um Nine Inch Nails was, you know, massively counterculture, you know, punk music, um, uh, uh, British New Wave. You know, I can think of tons of countercultures um, and you could find community, but you had to actually go out and find that community. And it felt organic and it felt real. And yeah, it's I mean, we have subreddits now, you know. And we're getting off topic. Well, a it's, bit. it's no, you know, no, no actually, no. We're not getting off topic. It's really funny that we're talking about this because who are the heroes of Akira? It's the misfits, gang members, yeah. drug dealers, terrorists, deviants. Oh, that's I mean, a good point. Oh yeah. man, it all comes full circle. Wow, <laughs> it's almost like I planned it. Yeah, mm. yeah, and it's, well, all, it's all gone now. Well, that's the, the thing, guys. Gone. I mean, that like truly, that is truly, truly a reference. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that is. The, the big kind of thematic part of this film like that's it's everything we just talked about I feel like that all kind of ties into you can't remove what we just spent the last 15 minutes no, talking about from right. 100% right. from this I hadn't even thought of it that way <laughs> I, I mean you can't and to Colin's point yeah like that is I feel like a statement of this because it, it was absolutely intentional but you know I think the character I want to bring up Shikishima. So, like, his character was interesting to me because, you know, he fulfilled that kind of role. Where he, One of the few characters where, you know, you don't think... I, I mean, at every turn, I thought the character was not going to make it through the film. I think he even gets enveloped by the Tetsuo blob mm-hmm. creature like two or three times. Yeah. But at, at the end, he's watching the sunrise, right? So he's kind of watching the birth of this new, uh, new world, I guess. But, like... It was interesting to me because we're, we're talking about different, like, kind of cultural touchstones, and he, I think, represents this kind of distinctly, like, Japanese cultural touchstone of being, you know, kind of honor bound or duty bound mm-hmm. to protect, like, this society that he obviously hates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he about faces. Completely, yeah. completely about faces. And I he, thought. He tells them, like, they, they don't. You know, these elites aren't here for you. They hate you. You know, you have to turn on them. Go arrest those, those that council, you mm-hmm. know. Complete 180 yeah. degree job. And I think that only reinforces the fact that we're following, you know, this band of misfits who, you know, obviously in the beginning they start out as, I think, relatively immature and, you know, they're out cracking skulls on their motorcycles at night, whatever. But by the end, you know, they... I think they... They touch something more profound and what that is is open to interpretation but they i think they grasp at it they don't quite understand it and i don't think it necessarily signals uh you know uh, like a drastic change in how they're doing what they're doing or how they're living or what they're doing but i think you know they i'm trying to think of a better way to describe it but i think you guys get where i'm coming from right or where i'm getting at they they 
it's within reach, you know, this new, um, this kind of evolutionary thing, I guess, in society, you know, they're, they've, they've gotten to that next level. Now the question is, what do you do with it's that? It's a metamorphosis. Yeah. What do you do with that freedom, I guess? And I think that's why I thought it was interesting where the film ended because the focus is more on, it's less on the characters we followed. It's less on the destruction of Neo Tokyo and it's more kind of on, you know, the ascension to a different kind of plane, almost the, uh, I am Tetsuo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Roll credits. And I was just like, yeah. all right, <laughs> you know, but not in a bad way. No, I, I thought that it was a great way to end it mm-hmm. personally, but it's, it's, it's <sighs> the end of this film is so weird, right? <laughs> like it's extremely, weird. you know, it's, it's all these ESP children coming together and uh, and and having Akira, and none of them, even though they're more advanced or you know have better abilities than an average human, they still don't fully understand what they're involved in, and they don't understand this weird, almost supernatural, um, you know, uh, power that they're involved in. You know, this sort of um, otherworldliness, and so. You know, they hint to it in the middle of the film and they're just like, well, just imagine an amoeba having the powers of a human being, like you said earlier. Um, you know, just imagine that and the amoeba trying to understand what that power is like or what the power they are being involved with, even though they're a single organism being with billion organism, you know, powers. So it's interesting because at the end it's it's implied and i think the manga clarifies that they actually create a new universe in this uh in this sort of singularity and so they they um and i i didn't know this but you know they they all come together and then there's this powerful being and they create a new universe and that's kind of like the particle that falls and you know uh canada grabs it in his hands um, which is a really powerful image, by the way, from the manga and, and in this. Um, and that brings me to another point. If you get a chance to just look up online, like, the, the um, destruction of Neo-Tokyo spreads that happened in the manga, they are absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. This guy, when he's making this thing, he uses the visual component of manga to kind of create this space and this beauty of silence because he, he has all these panels that are just like the characters not doing anything. It's just the characters experiencing their environments. And you kind of have an emotional, visceral experience looking at these and not, they're not saying anything. They're not developing anything. They're not doing anything, but you feel these characters and you really feel the destruction of Neo-Tokyo. And I think that's really something that they, this massive scale destruction kind of conveyed in the film. And I thought that was, that was really cool and it like really shows you the scale of what everybody's dealing with and the fact that it's difficult to comprehend as humans this sort of massive power which brings us back to the A-bomb. We're dealing with meddling with basic things that we don't understand and the power is beyond us and so we shouldn't mess with it. We should let it be because it's going to do what it's going to do and you know we could only destroy us. So, yeah. Yeah. Damn right. Well, gentlemen, um, unless anyone has anything else they want to add, I would like to go into good sci-fi, bad sci-fi for our listeners. Great. Jason. Yeah. um, So I think to, uh, 
I, I'll start this by, I guess, answering the viewer question or listener question that we had. Not viewer, obviously. You wouldn't want to see this right now. Trust me. <laughs> um, just truly cans everywhere. I'm in sweatpants. There's, there's like some gold pieces over there. It's a pumpkin. It's just, no, it's, it's a mess. <laughs> um, I think, uh, not if I remember correctly, Caroline asked, would you have watched this? had it not been something that was assigned as our sci-fi boy homework. No, I wouldn't have. Truthfully, if this had not been something we were watching for the cast, it probably would have been 10 more years before I watched this. So generally, thank you, Miller. Like, I'm glad we did watch it because I get it. Um, I don't think this changes necessarily my view on, like, anime as a whole as being something that I'm going to go out of my way to consume more of. Not that I don't like the medium, but it's just not... It's not something I follow. Um, certainly, in some cases, I think this being a prime example to my detriment. But no, it just really, really embodies, I think, and encompasses in a broader sense, like what sci-fi or good sci-fi should be. Uh, I think it ticks all those boxes we always talk about. It, it asks questions, you know, what does it mean to be human? It asks questions about how we live with and perceive, you know, technology in our environment, how, you know, we have different philosophies on how to live as a civilization. It ticks all those boxes, it asks all those questions, and I think, uh, you know, to me, in a satisfying way, doesn't have answers for all of them, per se. It asks the questions, but it doesn't seek to answer everything. So, generally, I mean, I was just kind of really pleasantly surprised i knew for being as heralded as it's been uh throughout the years that it was going to be good um it was definitely weird but in a good way and i thought you know great sci-fi um really glad to have watched it and glad to have watched it for this sounds like we're kind of all of the same mind i thought really good conversation tonight um and thematically i think brought a lot of really interesting things to the table Um, for the sake of brevity, I'm just going to say this was good sci-fi. Um, I always love it when sci-fi can be a cautionary tale. Um, it's, it blows my mind that we are past the point where it was the future for them. You know, the distant future where like things are crazy. Um, good sci-fi. Andrew. Um, yeah, kind of, uh, to Caroline's point, um, this has been on my radar to actually fully watch as a fully developed adult for, for many, many years. And, um, had I not been given the chance to curate, um, a month's worth of content, I don't know how soon I would have watched it. Um, you know, it's, it's been at my fingertips for at least... I mean, in one way, shape, or another for 25, 30 years. Um, but, yeah, um, this this was on my list. Um, glad glad we watched it. Um, I thought this was excellent sci-fi for all the points that uh, Jason brought up during his synopsis. So, good job, me. <laughs> good, good job, you. Well done, and yeah. last but certainly not least... William remembered him this week. That's good. Don't you like this Thank film? You. Thank you for remembering me, Colin. I appreciate it. Um, so I thought it was so interesting because 
So this is representative of the past because I did watch. I, I got it from Best, or I got it from Blockbuster when I was young. I got it from, you know, I got it from Netflix DVD queue when I was like 14 years old when they still mailed DVDs out. Um, it was a golden time. Do you remember we had Ronan? <laughs> With John? For, yeah, for years. For years we had that DVD. <laughs> Sorry, Bill, go ahead. <laughs> Poor John. Netflix uh, landed the SWAT team and was like, Where, where's our Ronin DVD? We need it back. <laughs> That's the last one in existence. Sean Bean said he needs it back. <laughs> so, anyway, so I, so I would have watched it. You know, I have watched it in the past, and I think it, it is a really classic film. And I honestly, even though I, I feel like people kind of define it as, oh, this is anime first, sci-fi second, I really think that it stands in both worlds completely. Like, it is a very good classic sci-fi film, and it is a, you know, uh, paradigm shift in anime. So it is really both, and uh, and I'd say, you know, like Jason said, ticks all the boxes, so I'd say it's great sci-fi. Magnanimous. Magnanimous. Trademark. This movie gets the pedigree that it has. This It fully deserves you know, it. My hope is that someday... Um, an, another definition will be added to magnanimous, in which it just means it's credit for sci-fi. We're, like, it just says like great sci-fi. Like, every, like every, <laughs> every damn week, we're working on it. Yeah. Hit us up, Webster. <laughs> High quality sci-fi. Yeah, listen, if you're web, looking you. for a great dictionary Miriam, experience, would you like to talk to me? <laughs> my this number is, my, is. This is my friend Miriam. <laughs> Look away, Miriam. All right. Anyways, uh, well, there you have it. Very favorable uh, anime movie. Anime movie. Um, wow, what is next week? Are we doing The Invisible Man next week? I think that's the... Uh, Am I wrong? I will not be here, so you guys will miss me. Oh, no. It is The Invisible Man next Maybe week. Maybe I'll call in. We start doing uh, our sci-fi cross-sections yeah. conference calls yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, hey you guys saw we were I'll supposed to have ben in. here today but i, I don't think i'm doing a zoom zoom webinar uh, is that okay yeah yeah yeah. i'll do a, okay uh, we'll yeah, do a yeah. uh we'll do a slideshow and everything yeah um, we'll do meetings tomorrow <laughs> no but so next week will be the invisible man uh, i don't know who's going to be on the cast we'll figure that out we'll all be invisible no one will be here right yeah can we get wilford grimmel he's dead we could we, we could try to get wilford grimmel no, no, um Wilford, if you hear this and you're alive, Time please out. contact us and Time let us out. know you're okay. Guillaume, do you have something you'd like to say? Uh, yes, I wanted to mention our Sunday stream. Every Sunday from 5 to 9, we do a real play Dungeons & Dragons stream. Uh, go ahead and check us out at twitch.tv forward slash once upon a time uh, underscores instead of spaces. And we're also on Facebook as well if you'd like to look us up. Um, it's a great stream and tune in. Thank you. All right, folks, there you have it. Until next time.
Uh, let it be known, Wilford Brimley is alive. He's well. He has a Twitter, and uh, his background on his Twitter is the his thing, thing. his earring from uh, <laughs> former actor, former spokesman, former musician, current family man. Damn, Wilford, eighty-five years young. I don't know if I look that good when I'm 85. He narrated um, Last of the Dogmen, and it was a beautiful movie. I know we're, we're, we're not on actual podcast time right now. Wilford Brimley, at Real Brimley, make sure to listen to my jazz album. Who fucking knew that Wilford Brimley was a jazz musician? 